There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Welcome to Revealing the True Light. We're going to be focusing once again on the beliefs of the Roman Catholic Church. Our primary emphasis on this episode will be confirmation. Now, confirmation is one of the seven sacraments in the Catholic Church. Number one is baptism. Number two is confirmation. Number three is the Holy Eucharist or communion. Number four is penance, also called confession. Number five is anointing the sick or extra unction. Number six is holy orders. And number seven is matrimony. And all of these are special expressions of grace in a Catholic's life. Confirmation is the ceremony in which Catholics are said to receive the Holy Spirit into their hearts and lives. This ceremony is based on Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 14. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, and on their arrival, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had not come upon any of them, but they had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now it's believed that confirmation is a continuation of this practice that happened with the early apostles and that it unites Catholics more firmly to Christ and more firmly to the Catholic Church. The traditional teaching is that confirmation awakens seven gifts of the Holy Spirit in a Catholic and empowers the confirmand or the person who is confirmed to be more faithful and more effective in sharing his or her faith. Now, the seven gifts that are supposedly awakened are wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and the fear of God. Now remember that because I'm going to be coming back to that concept in just a little while. Now the age of participants in the confirmation ceremony varies. I received confirmation when I was 12 years old. I was raised Catholic. I was an altar boy. I was very fervent. I was at the church about four or five days a week. I was on my way to the monastery to be a monk the rest of my life at a certain point. And so I understand the heart of Catholicism and I understand the heart of Catholics and what this ritual was all about. What happens during confirmation? Well, the ceremony can take place at a mass or outside of a mass. The presiding bishop wears red vestments to symbolize the red tongues of fire that were seen hovering over the heads of the apostles and disciples in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. That was the first 
entrance of the Holy Spirit into this world after Jesus ascended into heaven. You can read about it in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and then suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, and they were actually preaching about the wonderful works of God in multiple languages. And the people that heard them that day were converted. 3,000 people were added to the church that day. That was the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Now, when confirmation takes place, the presiding bishop wears red vestments to symbolize that experience of the tongues of fire hovering over the heads of the apostles. And the participant kneels before the bishop. The person's sponsor then speaks over that Catholic person being confirmed a new name, the name of a patron saint that that person is supposed to have a special relationship with in prayer the rest of his or her life. The presiding bishop then lays hands on the participant, anoints him or her with the holy oil, which is called chrism, making the sign of the cross while saying, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the participant says, amen. And after that, the bishop says, peace be with you. Now, back when I was confirmed, the bishop also slightly slightly smacked you on the cheek as a symbol of being brave to take a stand for the Bible and to be courageous in the face of persecution or resistance against the gospel. And then after that, we kissed the bishop's ring, and that was supposed to be a sign of submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, because that bishop's arm was Christ's arm extended to us. So by kissing his ring, it was a sign of our devotion toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's my response to all of these things? As I mentioned, I was about 12 years old when I was confirmed And I'm not trying to be harsh, but nothing happened. Nothing happened to me. My character was not changed. My life was not changed. It was merely a tradition. It was a ceremony. It was a ritual. Nothing more than that. I had no personal encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit that was remarkable, that was transformational. It was just a tradition of the church. So how am I going to respond to that sacrament and to that belief of Roman Catholics? Number one, I need to say this, that you cannot schedule a specific time when the power of the Holy Spirit will pour out. God is sovereign and he makes that decision. You can't schedule a day when a number of people are supposed to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's not man's decision. That's God's decision. And when the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place, it will happen according to the pattern of the book of Acts. And the initial sign is usually speaking in tongues. I already mentioned to you the day of Pentecost. The next time after that, when 
the Holy Spirit was poured out was Acts chapter 8 that I've already quoted. And something so radical, so supernatural happened that Simon the magician asked the apostles, he said, give me this power that whoever I lay hands on, they may receive the Holy Spirit also. So there must have been something very recognizable supernaturally that happened. I believe they spoke in tongues because three of the five times this is mentioned in the book of Acts, it definitely states they all spoke with tongues. The next time is Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. That's when Peter went to the household of Cornelius, who was a Gentile. And he was preaching the gospel. And the Bible says, while Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. The circumcision were the Jews who had now accepted Jesus as the Messiah. And they were referred to in the way Jews were normally referred to. Those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Now that's Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. The next primary place in scripture where people receive the Holy Spirit is Acts chapter 19. And this is where Paul, having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus and he found certain disciples and said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, in Cornelius's household, they received the Holy Spirit and then they were water baptized. But here at Ephesus, they were first baptized and then they received the Holy Spirit. And so there's no set rigid pattern that you have to go by. The other occasion in the book of Acts where someone received the Holy Spirit was when Ananias prayed for Paul. Now, we are not told that he spoke in tongues at that moment. However, later on, Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. And so it was very much a practice with him to exercise his prayer language, to pray in tongues when he prayed and sought the face of God. Now, let me bring up another issue. Remember, according to Catholic tradition, the baptism of the Holy Spirit awakens seven gifts of the Spirit. And let me repeat them again. Those gifts of the Spirit supposedly are wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and the fear of God. However, those are not the gifts of the Holy Spirit as listed in the Bible. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 7 through 11. It says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. 
To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. And incidentally, that is not naturally acquired wisdom or knowledge. That's not just an ability to advance yourself educationally. Those are supernatural gifts, a supernatural wisdom or knowledge, like Jesus exhibited when he told the woman at the well she'd had a certain number of husbands, and the one she was living with was not her husband. That was a word of knowledge. It's supernatural insight into a person's life. The other gifts of the Spirit, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit. Verse 10 says, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So the gifts of the Spirit that should be awakened should be found in this list, not of seven, but of nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me reference something else. When I was confirmed as a 12-year-old young man, I took the name Christopher, and I was supposed to have this special prayer relationship with St. Christopher from that time forward. And for years, I prayed to St. Christopher, or actually what Catholics do is they appeal to a saint to pray in their behalf. It's like having a prayer partner. But then around 1969, the church released a statement that they had decided Christopher was no more than a legend and that there was no proof that he ever actually existed. And so all of my prayers went up in smoke. I decided later on, I'm just going to go to the head man from now on. But when you really examine the whole idea of appealing to the saints or praying to the saints, it's not only wrong theologically, it's wrong logically. Because if over a million people around the world were petitioning Christopher simultaneously, then Christopher would have to be cognizant of all those conversations at once, over a million people talking with him at once. I do well to process one conversation at a time and to have a personal relationship with each one of those individuals. He would have to have the attribute of omnipresence. He would have to be in over a million places at once, listening to over a million conversations at once. That would require omniscience, Those are attributes that only God has. And besides, the Bible speaks very strongly in Deuteronomy 18 against contacting the dead. And petitioning the saints is no more than contacting the dead. Now, no one ever kissed Peter's ring or James or John to receive the Holy Spirit. Peter did not extend his hand with a ring on it to Cornelius and his household. That is just a ritual that was placed in this ceremony as something that was supposed to be meaningful, but it was certainly not biblical. Now, I urge every Catholic that is listening to me to hear my heart. I am not being critical, but I want reality. 
I never knew the Lord Jesus Christ until someone told me about being born again, that I could actually ask the Lord Jesus to come and live in my heart. Ephesians 3.17 says Christ will dwell in your heart by faith. And the scripture also says, if we confess with our lips the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. That's contained in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. So someone instructed me I needed to confess Jesus as Lord of my life, confess that I believed he rose from the dead and then receive him into my heart. Because in the first chapter of the gospel of John, it says to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. I did not become a child of God or become a Christian when I was sprinkled during an infant baptism ceremony. I had to have a maturity level where I could comprehend what I was actually asking for. Then after I was saved, it was a year later before I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I sought God for a year. I prayed. I went to many prayer meetings. Many people laid hands on me, but I was never satisfied that I'd had this tremendous encounter with God that began in the upper room. And then it happened the most remarkable way for me. In fact, it happened when I wasn't even expecting it. I was walking up to a Dairy Cream restaurant. My plans were to get a banana split. I don't eat that way anymore, but I did back then. And there was a lady sitting there with a back brace on. I felt compassion for her. And I asked her, I said, may I pray for you that the Lord Jesus Christ will heal you? I believe in healing. I believe the Bible provides that for believers. And she said, well, I believe that too. You're welcome to pray. So I reached out my hand and gripped hers and lifted my left hand toward heaven and began to pray for her healing. Well, it felt like fire hit my hand and traveled down through my arm. It was so powerful. It was this intense, ecstatic, fiery joy that exploded in my chest area. And I burst forth speaking in tongues, a prayer language. First Corinthians 14, 2 says, he who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. And no man understands him. There's actually several different kinds of speaking in tongues. The first evidence of that gift in the church was on the day of Pentecost when they actually preached in languages they did not understand. But there's also a type of speaking in tongues, which is a language of worship. And Paul said it can be languages of men and of angels. So it can be an angelic, heavenly language of praise to God. Well, I cannot express in words the power of the presence of God that I felt that day when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. See, John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who comes after me is mightier than I, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I finally felt that spiritual, consuming, burning fire in my soul when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was not a mere ritual. It was not a mere ceremony. It was not some tradition being passed on. It was an encounter with the creator of the universe. 
And my appeal to anyone who is Catholic, who is listening to this episode of Revealing the True Light, I would urge you, number one, ask the Lord Jesus to come into your heart. Ask him for a genuine encounter of being born again, that spiritual rebirth that will bring you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It will give you a joy and a peace that is beyond description. Then begin to ask him to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to have a very lengthy article on my website, thetruelight.net, that will explain how you should go about asking God and praying and worshiping God and believing God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Instead of going into a lot of detail right now, I would just urge you to go to thetruelight.net and go to the biblical teachings, the written teachings, and there will be an article there on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I pray it happens for you. It has been such a remarkable walk with God since that day. Other gifts of the Spirit were awakened in my life, like healing and prophecy, and these are still relevant and real today. God has not changed. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.